As Aaron asked, Lord, may this be a good word that will bring life and encouragement to each of us as uh, we now come to your word. May your word just wash over us and align us with your purposes, Lord, that you would be glorified and uh, that our lives would be transformed into what you have in store for us. We thank you and we commit this time now into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, last week or two weeks ago, I shared with you uh, how we move from glory to glory and what the Lord has in store for us as uh, we come into that place where we receive from him goodness and faithfulness. And uh, uh, today I want to continue with part two of that, and I'm going to sort of fine-tune it into maybe having us ask the question, why on earth am I here? I don't mean here in this Zoom meeting. I don't mean here uh, in this service. I mean here on earth. So we're going to address that by looking at uh, some of the things that we had discussed last time as the foundation to move to the next step. And if you recall, I quoted from 2 Corinthians 3.17 and 18, where Paul writes and he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And uh, that freedom releases us to be who God has created us to be. A lot of times we wonder what that is, and the question is, why am I on this earth? Uh, but we would uh, all, we all, we all, all of us, each one of us, we all with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed. We're being changed. Something is happening to us. To all of us, as he says, we all are being transformed into the same image. Now, these are critical words. These are words that are, if we miss them, we miss the whole rest of the story. So I'm going to go back to some of these words throughout the sermon today to help us really establish a solid foundation for the rest of it. Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Lord just as from the Lord the Spirit and I mentioned to you that uh, we leak we leak our memories leak our understanding diminishes the things that God has done in our lives and, and you know as powerful as our experiences are and our encounters with God are, uh, from time to time, we find that we come into an experience and we tend to forget these things. So, um, you know, we talked about the leakage and knowing that our sinful nature and its limitations are the reason that we would leak, the impact of our encounters with God, he gave Israel a process to prevent this leakage. And we looked at what that process was. And we looked at what he called appointed feasts. And these appointed feasts were eight of them. And, you know, those are all listed in Leviticus 23. And specifically, we looked at 
one feast. We didn't really get into too much of it, but I highlighted one verse, the Sabbath, where he says that this is a perpetual ordinance. It's a perpetual law that I'm giving you to celebrate the Sabbath, he's telling Israel. And, and we saw how with this leakage, the answer that God gave was to overcome the leakage by putting in a process that would help us move from leakage to establishment so that we can move, in fact, from glory to glory. What about the New Testament? Well, we looked at in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, how God uh, was working in the church. And the scripture in Acts tells us that Luke tells us, uh, the author of the book of uh, Acts, of the apostles, tells us that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Further down in that chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So there was a process in the Old Testament. There is a process in the New Testament. And that process in the New Testament uh, is these five steps. Devotion to the teachings, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and praise and worship. And last week, Rob took us through the breaking of bread, and he beautifully laid out the things that we individually experience when we are coming to the table of communion, and how each one of us, by being grateful for what God has done, we remember the things that God has fulfilled in the death of Jesus and in his resurrection and the promise of his return until he comes back. He said, do these things in remembrance of me. Remember me in my death until I come back. So in that, he talks about death, resurrection, and return. However, we all have experienced, even when we're doing some of these things, their failure. Not their failure, our failure. You know, I preached it two weeks ago. We, we were reminded last week of the power of communion as we shared together. That was on Sunday. On Tuesday, we celebrated our anniversary. Silva and I have been married 39 years by the grace of God. And it was a rough day. It wasn't just 39 years, praise God. There were moments in there where I was very argumentative with Silva. I had an edge. I was angry. I don't know if any of you could relate to that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep the night before. But I think that each one of us, no matter how we do these things, there are times that as diligent as we are in keeping these things, we miss the mark. We miss the mark because we forget some of the foundational things. 
So today what I want to focus on is how do we keep perspective so we don't miss the mark. And in these five points, I'm going to look at the first one. We'll have an opportunity to look at the others at other uh, times when I'm back with you. But let's look at the first one, because if we miss the mark because we're losing perspective, it's likely because we have lost perspective of some of the foundational things. So let's go back and look at the initial encounters, the first encounters between God and humanity. And to help us do that, I remember the story in the Bible of what happened in the last chapter of the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. I'm, I'm really talking with Luke here today, and I saw him earlier on the screen. So Luke, uh, it's good to have seen you with us this afternoon. But the author, the doctor, Luke, writes these things, and he writes to us a story that is rather unique. After the resurrection, Jesus is walking along, and he sees two disciples, and he approaches them, but somehow their eyes were not able to see who it was, and they didn't know it was Jesus. So as he begins to talk to them, and their eyes begin to get opened, the scripture Luke writes, and he says, he said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And this is the part that's really powerful here for us. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in the scripture concerning himself. So Jesus, who had spent time with these disciples, is now crucified. These disciples lose hope and they begin to travel back to their hometown. They lost perspective. All they heard was Jesus died. They hadn't heard of the resurrection yet. But when he broke bread with them, communion, their eyes were opened. And what he did to help them come back to center, come back to focus, was establish the teachings and the doctrines that later the apostles would be teaching. And what he did was take them back to Moses and the prophets. So let's go back to the first book of Moses. Any guesses what that book is? If you can tell me who that, what that book is, wave your arms and tell me, yes, you know what I'm talking about. The books of Moses, the first book of Moses is the book of Genesis. You know it's my favorite book. So today, in the time that I have, I'm going to try to do something that is a little bit uh, of a telescope. I'm going to take us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. In those verses, and these are foundational verses, I suspect that when Jesus started to take them back to Moses to talk about himself and how Moses and the prophets all spoke of him, he started there. And he started by telling them about day one. 
and what happened in the creation process. Because in John, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word came to live amongst the people and took upon himself flesh. So the Word is right there at the beginning. So he starts off with Genesis 1.1 by telling them, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in chapter 1, verse 3, Moses writes that God said, let there be light. Genesis 1.4, God spoke these words and, and, and said, God, Moses writes, God saw that the light was good. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We jumped to day two. So he's explaining these things. He's explaining to them that there is light and there is darkness. And you are children of light. You are to walk in the light because I'm in the light. I am the light and I am in you and I will never leave you. My light now is going to be in you. And you are also going to be children of light wherever you go. You're going to express my light. In day two, God says, let there be a vault. Let there be a huge separation between the waters above and the waters from the earth. There's waters above the heavens and there's waters beneath the heavens. There was waters on the earth and there was waters in the atmosphere. And in that day, that second day, nowhere do we read God saying that it was good. And he explains to them, I'm confident that Jesus explains to his disciples that he opens their eyes why God said nothing about that day being good. Because he knew that the waters that are going to be in the heavens, on that day that the flood would come, those waters were going to be used as judgment to judge all of humanity and drown humanity with the exception of Noah and his family in that flood that came when the heavens opened, the fountains of heavens opened and the windows of heaven opened and the rain came down and judged humanity. God doesn't say that was good. Day three, Jesus continues as he's speaking from Moses and he begins to remind them that God said, let the waters under the sky now. These are not the waters that are above with that separation. The waters under the sky, let them be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. So the water that covered the whole earth now separates and ground appears. And God saw that that was good. And in day three on the second part, God spoke and said, let the land produce vegetation. Now I'm going to open a bracket here. This is not a scientific document that gives us a scientific breakdown of how all of this happens or happened or when it happened or how quickly it happened. It simply gives us a theological expression of how God spoke things into existence and they came to be. This is a spiritual understanding that we have to have. It doesn't address how long each day it was, 
Was it 24 hours or was it 24 million years? It doesn't address that. It simply brings us to the place of recognizing that there is a master creator, there is a master creation plan, and he does it in an order that helps us understand his heart. This whole passage of Genesis 1 to 2.27 or 2.25 is an expression of the heart of God towards his creation and towards humanity. Let's not make the mistake of trying to prove science through this, but what we're discovering is that science is proving this to be accurate. Are you with me so far? If you are, if that wasn't too far out there, just give me a thumbs up or just some reaction or something. Thank you. All right. So on day three, after he separated land from water, he actually says, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. And it's funny. The other day we were at Aaron's, and we were having this conversation about what is fruit. And what's vegetable? Now, in the grocery store, we separate vegetables from fruit. But in the reality, anything that has seed in it is a fruit. Okay, are you with me so far? Anything that has seed in it is a fruit. In other words, every one of us, at least the males among us anyway, are fruits. Let that sink in a little bit. You're a fruit, I'm a fruit. Guys, we're all fruits. But that's what it says. But the key here, why I'm making this point, is that it says something very important. Moses highlights this over and over again. And he says, according to their various kinds. There are bananas that have little tiny seeds inside. There are cherries that have a big or, or solid pit. There are peaches that have a big seed. There's avocados that have an even bigger seed. And now we have seedless watermelon and seedless grapes. But there's still fruit, but we've engineered them out of it anyway. But look at this. Every creation reproduces according to its own kind. Aaron and Lauren had a human. His name is Ari. Joshua and Ditti had two humans, Ursula and Sylvia. And I can go on. Your parents had a human. Put your name in there. There is Jagap. There is uh, Salpi. There's all of these humans. Humans produce according to their kind. Animals, or at least here, we only know the fruits and the plants and the vegetation produces according to its kinds. You won't find an avocado on a banana tree. Uh, Silva's whispering from over there. She's saying, yeah, but it could be grafted. Very good point. Very good point. And God saw all of this on day three, and he thought it was good. Day four. As we come to day four, things are beginning to develop. And, and God says, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. But I thought he already separated day from night on day one. Hmm. Interesting. He's talking about our solar system now. 
Let there be lights in the sky and let them serve as signs to mark sacred days, sacred times. You remember what I showed you about the process God gave Israel? That process involved eight feasts in Leviticus 23, each of them tied to the cycles of the months that he gave Israel when they came out of Egypt. Each of them tied to the cycle of the moon and the calendar of the moon around the clock or around the earth. So here, Jesus, when he's opening things in Moses, he is reminding them of the global, beyond Israel, timetable that God had put into creation on day four when he put the vault of the sky to be filled with lights. And he goes on later, and, and he calls some of these moon and some of them, uh, uh, one of them moon, one of them sun, for the lesser and the greater. But the point is, when he's explaining this to them, they understood immediately that God had a calendar in mind from even before Israel. He's preparing them for the incoming, the entrance into the commonwealth of Israel of the nations. Because the calendar of God is bigger than the nation of Israel. It is the calendar for all creation on earth. And while God did that, at the end of that day, verse 18, God saw that it was good. God sees good things. He sees bad things. He doesn't comment on them. He doesn't say they're not good. At least at that point. But the good things, you'll see, he highlights and says they're good. Day five. He's speaking now into the waters of the earth that he separated from the land. And he says, let the water be filled, teem with living creatures. And let birds fly in the air above the earth across the vault of the sky. And God saw all of that. And it was good. He saw the fish and the mammals that are in the sea. He saw the birds that are in the air. He saw all of that. And he said it was good. And later on, he goes on and he says, God bless them. This is the first time we read in Moses or anywhere in the Bible of God actually blessing anything. He blessed the fish in the waters. He blessed the birds in the air. If you want to eat food that's blessed, seafood is amazingly blessed. If you want to eat birds that are blessed, Pigeons, chickens, I don't know, but they don't fly in the air. But that's okay, they're birds. Chickens are blessed. Turkeys are blessed. Ostriches are, anyway, enough of that. But he says to them, and let them increase in number. He says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds increase on the earth according to their own kind. And God saw that was good. And now we're coming to the sixth day, day six. So far, there's the earth, there's the waters above that have been separated, there's the water below that's been separated, there's stars and sun, and there's lights in the heavens, there's fish in the waters, there's plants on the ground, there's birds in the air. And on day six, he said, let the land produce living creatures 
according, again, according to their kind. Donkeys produce donkeys, monkeys produce monkeys, etc. The creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to their kind. And God saw these animals, and it was good. But he doesn't stop there on day six. He goes on and he's doing something else. On day six, he comes to now the finale, the crescendo, the you know the the breaststrokes that are now finalized, the creation masterpiece of all that everything that God is doing that Jesus was explaining to his disciples after his resurrection when he started with Moses. He's putting it into context. He's giving them perspective. So when leakage happens, the process of not only the eight days of the feasts, but the five cycle, five-step cycle of process that we find in Acts chapter 2, he's giving them now tools that you and I could use to maintain our perspective. He says, let us make man in our image. Have you ever wondered why? This bothers me a lot. Whenever there's a newborn baby, everybody becomes an expert on who this baby looks like. Have you, have you noticed that? It used to bother me so much. Actually, I would fight with Silva enough already. I don't want to hear any more about who he looks like or she looks like. You know, oh, this little earlobe part, it looks like uncle so-and-so. Oh, look at this nostril. For crying out loud, you know why we do that? I have been touched by God and I have repented and I will never complain again. You know why? Because we have been made in the image of God and there's something in us that wants to compare us to the master. The copy or the, the reproduction, we need to figure out what's the master that this reproduction is a copy of. That's an inborn thing that was there from Adam's days when God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, this likeness isn't the likeness of the physicalness of God, but it's the likeness of the character, the nature of God and his traits. Man is supposed to be created Humanity is supposed to be created in the image of God. We're to look like God, going from glory to glory, being conformed to his image. Why? Because of sin, we lost that image. Now, because of the salvation that we have received from the Holy Spirit, who now comes into us and where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. We are now being conformed to the image of God by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives to restore the fullness of what that image is like so that we can move from glory to glory. What is that going from glory to glory about? He says it right here. He says it right here. We have been made in his image and in his likeness so that for the reason of for the purpose of, 
that we may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, over the wild animals, all over all creation that moves along the ground. That's part of our job. The reason that we have been made in the image of God is so that we would be superior to all other creation. But why? So that we can do something with that. And God goes on, and, and the scripture goes on in Moses, and he says that so God created mankind in his own image, and, and he stresses it. It just isn't something he said in passing. He's highlighting it over and over in Genesis. Moses understood it. He felt that we need to have this so that it doesn't leak. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's stuff in there that we can talk about for weeks. This whole male and female thing. About the compatibility of the two. And how the two are necessary for fruit bearing. And you can't have fruit bearing with only the one and not the other. Or one and the other. There is a compatibility that has to happen. Aaron could never have a child without a Lauren. Without Lauren, not a Lauren, but Lauren. The two of them have been fitted together so that they can have life flow out of that. He carries the seed. She is the womb that receives the seed and the fruit comes forth. And that's how it is. On a tree, it isn't quite like that. It's different. But it bears fruit according to its kind. With animals, it's a little closer to humans. You need a, a, a bull and you need a cow and the two of them come together and there's life that calf, a calf is born. So here, God tells us that he created mankind in his image so that we would rule over the, the animals and the plant and, and everything else. That's not to rule in a tyrannical way. It is not to rule to abuse. It isn't a way to rule to pollute. It is a way to rule so that we can actually become the representatives of God on the planet as his authorized stewards. We have been given the imagination. We have been given, given the image. He downloads things into our minds and into our hearts so that we can create like he is a creator. And here is again the second time we read the word blessed. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number to the humans now. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, Bring it under control. You know, as I'm looking across my screen and I see the cameras that are on, I see Joshua and Jagab. Jagab is an amazing architect. God has given him the skill, and I see you, Sujin, as well. So the two of them have partnered together, and they have a beautiful studio that does amazing things. They are subduing the earth by bringing elements that are available to them in the form of whether a glass, concrete, wood, cement, you name it, whatever materials they use, they're bringing that and harnessing it along with their imagination in the image of God to create a plan that puts a building together 
that expresses beauty. Each one of us does that in a different way. I'm looking at Silva's parents. God has given them their ability to come together, bear forth a daughter that is beautiful, who I have married and I've enjoyed for 39 years of life. We do that, the same thing. We subdue the earth and we release it in multiple ways. Some of you are teachers. You do the same thing. You use the tools and the resources available to you to impart to children so that they're educated and that they're able to continue the cycle of understanding and growth and development so that we can continue as humans to subdue the earth and bring out of it goodness. Now look at this. So far we have seen it said multiple times that God saw what he had done and he saw that it was good. Now at the end of day six, after he had created mankind, male and female, God saw everything that he's created. From the planets, to the stars, to the waters, to the plants, to the separating water and, and, and land, to all of this stuff. And after he finishes humanity, his masterpiece, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was excellent. Now we flip the chapter and we go to chapter 2. And in chapter 2 now we're coming to day 7. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In Leviticus 23, the appointed times that were given as a continual ordinance or a eternal ordinance to Israel isn't just in the law that God gave Moses for Israel. He's telling them when he's opening their eyes, starting with the book of Moses, he's linking all the history of Israel and what God had done with Israel to all of what God had done in creation for all of humanity. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed, that's the third time it shows up here now, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He set it apart because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, that was a lot to do. Seven days of creation is a long time. My personal belief is that this day hasn't happened yet. Because Jesus was asked how he could heal on the Sabbath. And he told them that my father hasn't stopped working and I continue to work. We haven't entered into that rest of God where God rests completely from everything that has been done. God is still at work. But in God's mind, which is eternal, and in his expression, which transcends time, he has already been in the seventh day. He exists in the seventh day. He functions from the seventh day. 
that's a different conversation for another day. But for today, we saw the seven days of creation. From day one, let there be light, to day seven, where God rests. And then as we continue reading now, this is Genesis 2 and 3. I mean, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. He continues, Moses continues. I told you it's telescopic, that what we're doing is looking through a telescope. Let's go back and look at the details of day 6. Part 2, the creation of humanity. And Genesis 2.8 now takes us through a different story of how it played out. So, you know, I look at it in this way. Genesis 1.1 through Genesis 2.7, where God rests from all his creation, is the summary chapter of the whole Bible. Genesis 2.8 to 2.27 is the unraveling of day 6, part 2. How God creates humanity. The rest of it, from Genesis 2.8 till the end of Revelation, is that part before day 7. That's how I look at it. You could disagree, it doesn't matter, it won't get us anywhere. You know, we don't have to really agree on this. It's not foundational. But what happens in day 6, part 2, now God created a garden and he in the east, in Eden, and there he put man that he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were two trees. There was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord took man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it because he is now expressing to us the mind and heart of God about humanity. We are his representatives on the earth. We are to do his work on the earth. And the Lord commanded the man not to eat from the, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will die. But I'm, I'm building up to this verse here. God created all these things and he said they were good. At the end of day six, he said it's very good. But between all the animals that he said were good and man that he had created when he created Adam, between that and day seven, something happened. God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good. Remember I told you when day two he created the water, or separated the waters above and below, he said nothing about it being good? because it was going to be used for judgment. Now this now, he's talking about something that's good, but it's not complete. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. He puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib out, puts, him together, puts that rib together, and, and life comes into her, and woman is created, Eve is created. And after that, when he looked at all of that, and what man had done, mankind had done, men, women, children, all of us together, had done at the end of day six, that's when he says, it's very good. So when we ask the question, why on earth am I here? 
you can't have perspective to answer that question without a revelation from Genesis 1, why God created humanity. You won't have context as to why it's important for you to have a family, why it's important for you to have children, why it's important for you to grow up as a child, to grow up into adulthood, why it's important for you to go to work. If you lose perspective of these foundational things in Genesis 1 and 2, everything else you do will be out of context. Taking communion, if you lose perspective from that stuff in Genesis 1 and 2, taking communion will become very selfish. But it's not. It's meant to be in the context of all of this. The building of the created world and humanity on earth. The mission of humanity on earth. The mandate he gives humanity to rule the earth and subdue it. Communion fits into that. Prayer fits into that. Marriage fits into that. Career fits into that. Everything fits into that. Take that out of the equation and you're messed up. You have no boundaries. You have no reference point. As a matter of fact, I think that the question that we're addressing today isn't why on earth am I here, but why on earth are we here? And as I'm wrapping up, I want to summarize it with these four reasons that we saw from chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. Four reasons. Number one, we have been created for relationship and love. How do I know that? Because Jesus said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How do I know that? Because God blessed Adam and Eve. How do I know that? Because it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. But God created Eve so that the two would have relationship. And that later he says, for this reason, a man should leave his family, his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You and I have been created for relationship and for love. You lose sight of that, nothing else works. You lose sight of that, you can be perfect in all kinds of other things, but if you lose sight of that one foundational principle, you'll miss the mark. We are to express God's nature within creation. We are to express the full mind of God, the full heart of God, in everything that we say and do, how we relate to one another in these relationships. We are to be the example to all the other creation elements from spiritual, which is the angelic world or the demonic world or the fallen angels world, to the plants, to the animals. We are to express that nature of God to the plants and to the animals and to the land and to the water and to the air. We don't do that when we pollute. We don't do that when we discriminate. We don't do that when we 
ravage the rainforests, for example. We don't do that, express the nature of God, when we don't live in love and in relationship. We don't do that when we abuse one another, when one nation rises up against the other. We don't do that when there's genocide. We don't express the nature of God. The third, which is an extension of that, is that we are stewards of the earth. Some of you here plant in the gardens that God has given you to enjoy. And some of us get to enjoy the fruits that are brought out of those gardens. But we are to steward, not only farm, but to steward the land. To make sure we don't erode things out of it. To make sure that we are continually doing what we're doing. But if we're doing the first three right, the fourth one is easy. And that's when we become a blessing to those around us. He blessed them. In chapter 12 of Genesis, I've quoted this many times, when Jesus opened their eyes, starting with Moses. In Genesis 12, we read, God blessed Abraham. Now he's spelling it out for humanity so that we don't miss it. He says, Abraham, I'm blessing you so that you also become a blessing. So I want to wrap up with this thought. As we come to the end of this, we have been created for relationship and love. Jesus said it this way, they will know you're my disciples by your love. So may the Lord bless you to understand Moses, to have the foundations there so that we can launch from them and understand the doctrines of the apostles, which are really the doctrines of the great apostle himself, Jesus. With that, I'm going to pass it on to Sujin.